Well, 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 welcome back to our show. I guess it is our show now. This is uh, your friend, Shoeless Adam Danger. And what started off as a one-off podcast, I think, has legs. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about uh, our comic book podcast. Uh, Joining me today, as always, is James. James, what's going on? Hey, Adam. Happy to be here. Glad to have you on here. Uh, James had come up with the name for this podcast a while back, and I think we're going to institute it today. We're going to call it The Satellite Years. I think uh, it's fitting. I think it's a... Uh, yeah, I think tell me why. And then one, I mean, it's a... I mean, definitely is a focus. Our love of older, you know, 70s, 80s uh, era comics. Um, but also, like, specifically it resonates with me because it was one of the first things we ever discussed in the way of uh comic books was uh you talked about your love of the salad years of jla and specifically talked about how it was popular with your father russell so um and then we talked about red tornado and all these other things so it's it, uh you know and i think it's and, and it's a cool name salad years it almost sounds like a uh, prog rock band so yeah <laughs> i like that i like that well uh i'm glad you did a shout out to my father russell russell hazard uh I want to let you all know I've received uh, positive feedback. So back by popular demand, we have Russell Hazard with us. Russell, say hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. And thank you for all those positive notes. I'm here at the Hazard Household Lair. And I'm really psyched about being with both of you uh, to talk about comic books today. Yes, I, I want to let you know this has probably been what a year, if not two years, in the making that James and I have discussed. Two years, yeah. You know, like well, wouldn't it be cool to have like your dad and we would all just talk about comic books? And I was like, no, that I don't know if that could happen. That's just I don't know if that's in our wheelhouse. But it only took a pandemic and social upheaval later, and here we are. <laughs> we're, the world we're all is just here. crumbling before <laughs> us. But let's get together and talk about comics. Yeah, let's talk about the important stuff. Uh, so let's exactly. get started. We've got Russell Hazard here. And if you listen to our first podcast uh, about comic books, I hopefully uh, paid him justice in talking about the influence that he had in me reading comic books. So we want to give him just a little time to introduce himself to you all, the listeners. And and, uh, uh, Dad, why don't you go ahead and tell us about what you love about comics, a little bit about your kind of history and backstory, your secret origin, if you will. I like that, secret origin, yeah. Um, My secret origin goes back uh, to the late 60s uh when i was a, a a mere lad a child i started reading comic books uh back then and then around 1972 uh with money i get it from an allowance and money from my paper route when i was a newspaper boy i started buying my own issues of, of comic books uh stopped for a while in the 80s by the time i started dating your mother and got married and uh, stopped collecting for about 15 years. Then one day in 1996, I made a big mistake, went into a comic book store. This is 1996, and I fell off the wagon. Uh, (laughs) I saw all these beautiful comic books with beautiful covers and striking, uh, you know, characters, and I started buying again. And it's only been the last few years that I've stopped buying comics for the most part i buy a trade every once in a while uh i don't know if i'll jump back in but you never know you never know uh i do have a couple of big takeaways i want to share with everybody uh for those of you who uh have a passing interest in comics uh, i want to first tell you all that this is not a hobby for anyone with obsessive compulsive tendencies <laughs> like i have uh because if you do have obsessive compulsive tendencies, you don't want to miss any issues from any of your final favorite titles. So you find yourself going to a store, comic book store, just about every week. No, not just about every week you go. Yeah. I want to warn you that if you leave your comics around the house, uh, your kids may pick them up and read them. Uh, sometimes without your permission. And the next thing you know, uh, you're talking on a podcast about comics on one of your son's shows. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that tends to happen. Uh, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's, too, uh, it's, it's a, a heritage almost. Like you create a heritage <laughs> where uh, I would read comic books. And uh, last show we talked about Joshy Numbers, and I talked about his, uh, he would read Rocco's Modern Life or, uh, you know, Nickelodeon comic books. 
And I think it goes to, right to your point, Dad, about uh, there were different kinds of comics, and just for whatever you wanted to read, whatever your fancy happened to be. So if there was, you know, cartoon comics or the funnies or... Uh, and even now, you know, I guess being in the mid '90s, that's when we maybe were introduced to manga and all kinds of different, or even indie comic books that were something like Ghost World or something like that, where it really wasn't just strictly comic book or superheroes, but it could be, you know, just uh, uh, you know, everyday life or someone's musings or perspectives. And I'm sure that goes back way further than just the '90s, right? In terms of just kind of like uh, oh, yeah. comics and, and daily strips and stuff like that. Yeah, well, actually, I think that, uh, like I said, DC and Marvel were playing around with a lot of different titles. Uh, I always joke that one of my favorite was Brother Voodoo in Marvel Comics, which was kind of a, uh, I don't know why they came up with a voodoo superhero, but they did. But I think it was uh, around the time of the uh, 80s that you had people who were telling these very personal stories like Mouse uh, and other another. Uh, uh, writers and uh, illustrators who are telling these very personal stories. And that's the birth of the graphic novel, I think, that came around the 80s. And that came because there were comic book stores that would actually uh, sell these. And then later on, they'd find their way into Barnes & Noble and, and other bookstores. And uh, they, they remain very popular. I mean, a lot of people uh, will follow certain uh, writers and... and uh, illustrators uh for the work they're doing for these for these uh, graphic novels so yeah i mean i i guess you could say that uh it has a long tradition comics has a long tradition of, of telling very uh, unusual stories and and that's what makes it so um interesting and engaging and doesn't have to be just superheroes although that's what we're going to talk about today i will so i will say at first as somebody who actually has a ghost world tattoo um <laughs> independent comics or creator own comics or more personal stories i mean they go back the real birthplace would be like zap comics and robert crumb and spain rodriguez yeah. and all those yeah. quote unquote underground cartoonists of the 60s uh who all met up in san francisco and um started that whole scene where you could only buy them in head shops and what have you but right. I mean, that tradition's been going on consistently since it it had its birth um you know in the 60s but it it became very with like you know especially like i said where some of these movies some of these comics were getting turned into films and television but these indie comics or creator own comics um like ghost world or uh optic nerve by adrian tomanet and and there's all these different like you know much more um some people call them art comics some people call them literary comics i i don't all those kind of titles are a little pretentious to me but uh, i was a big fan of those i was you know those kind of comics you know that that's actually for a long time that's kind of the kind of art and comics i wanted to do but there was a time when the, those were very hip and cool but there was definitely a separation between like either you read you know uh love and rockets or you read superman but you didn't read both like the idea was that you didn't read both but that shit is silly to me first off because obviously like say Love and Rockets, those guys grew up on superhero comics. They grew up on Lucha Libre. They grew up on pop culture. Um, you know, they didn't see it necessarily a separation. They just told those stories they wanted to tell. But there was a time where you just it was sort of like those kind of guys were embarrassed by superhero comics. But weirdly enough, it's we've kind of come full circle where, you know, those they don't they don't exist so separately like they used to. And you have guys the sort of weird in between where they're like indie guys, um, you know, guys who's more daring or a little bit more, they, basically non superhero comics. But those guys also will maybe do like a creator owned superhero thing or or more of a science fiction y thing. There, there's not the the boundaries have broken down a little bit. But I remember when it's very uncool. Like if you were into things like Kramer's Ergot and Sammy Harkum and Gary Panter and all these guys, like if you like that stuff. You, it was very uncool to say that you liked, you know, uh, the Justice League or the Avengers or whatever. So, um, but thankfully, that stuff has sort of faded away, and those pretensions are, yeah. are, are no longer there. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, Love and Rockets because that was a favorite of mine for a while. Uh, there weren't many comic books that would look at the Latino experience, and it was these two yeah. brothers, the Hernandez brothers, and they actually did a wonderful job. They actually followed a group of characters, uh, mostly women. 
they followed them from being uh, young girls in high school. Uh, Hopi was one of them, and I forgot the other one's name. And last time I picked up an issue was just a couple of years ago. I almost didn't recognize the characters because they're middle aged like me. Exactly. And I think that was I thought I thought that was wonderful is that the the creators allowed them to uh, to age and uh, you know they tell these stories and they go back and forth in time. And it was kind of neat to see that, you know, they how they grew up and how they changed over the years. Uh, so, yeah, Love and Rockets, uh, I didn't, I have to say, I didn't follow too um, closely. But every once in a while, I pick up an issue, and I did like it. Uh, it was a lot of fun to read. The band, actually, Love and Rockets, got their name, actually, from them. Um, Jaime Hernandez, uh, who's one of Los Brothers Hernandez, uh, is probably one of the greatest illustrators comics has ever had i mean they're both great um but jaime uh is probably one of the greatest draftsmen i mean he's like at the level of like alex toth or like maybe mm-hmm. like a mike mcnola as far as just his ability his actual like drawing ability is just next level but they told really great like kind of they were sort of in that los angeles punk scene so a lot of their stuff mm-hmm. was very much kind of inspired by that spirit but I, again the fact that they maggie and hopi they're two kind of well, at least in, in Jaime's, you know, he, he was the guy that did those stories mainly. But, um, you know, the fact that he's followed those characters from being teenage punks to now they're middle-aged women with, compl- like, it's just incredible. It, it, to this day, it's still every issue. And then they they go really weird and, and surreal and they, you know, do other things too. But the main story, just very real, very honest. And like you said, one of the rare comics that showed a sort of Mexican-American experience uh it's just a great i mean it's literally i'm i'm i couldn't say and i mean it's one of my favorite comics of all time but uh but again you know like you know they told these really interesting human stories and then sort of like these sort of very dreamlike stories but they also loved superheroes they love uh you know they love kurt swan and they love like 60s and 70s comics themselves because that's what they grew up on they love like wrestling and all these things so you know there's still that love and that appreciation even from guys who do much more sort of uh quote-unquote highbrow comics so mm-hmm. right right and i think uh comic books now or even then they allow you to just mix and match maybe milieus and like themes and interests so if you're into like film noir but also, you know, prog rock. You can always throw these these references in there and really make it a rich, whatever the story is. Uh, and you could kind of just tell either a personal story, but then you can just have patchwork from other things that you enjoy, whether it's your heritage, whether it's pop culture, or, yeah. you know, even older in, in, in older themes. And that's what makes, I think, reading comics that much more enjoyable. I think you can read it on Facebook and go, oh, this is an interesting story. This is kind of neat. But then when you maybe do some, you know, deep dives of Wikipedia before you go to sleep. Like, whoa, I didn't know this. I didn't know this tied into, you know, the dance macabre or anything, you know, something crazy like that. But so, yeah, so I think that's where we kind of get to in, in terms of, uh, I guess, my dad reading comic books and then me kind of osmotically absorbing that information. Uh, one of the things we talked about last week I wanted to talk about was uh, Stargirl. So, Russell Hazard, take it away. Tell us what your thoughts are. Uh, are you caught up on Stargirl? Yes, I think I've watched the first four episodes. Okay, uh, just last... real quick, I haven't seen the fourth one. Uh, ah. So, spo- no spoilers for the fourth episode. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, well, then let me be very general. I'm finding is that it has a very nostalgic feel. Uh, it almost feels like it's from the 50s or the 80s. It's, you really can't tell. Uh, I mean, it, obviously, it's present day. Uh, it's taking place right now. But, I mean, they're in this small town and it just has kind of a small town feel uh, of a bygone era. I do like the chemistry between uh, Courtney and her um, her dad, Luke Wilson. I can't remember his Pat Dugan. What? Pat Dugan. Pat. Thank you very much. This next episode that James hasn't seen. Spoiler alert, James. Uh, it was written by James Robinson, who uh, created oh. Jack Knight Starman. Uh, he's actually an executive producer on the show. I didn't realize that until I saw his name in the credits, James Dale Robertson. And uh, listeners, uh, James and I are both big fans of James Robinson. I don't think James was named after him, but uh, we are both <laughs> fans. Uh, I want to say that, like James, I think that he uh, he was wonderful out of the, the box when he first started writing back in the 90s with uh, Starman. 
Uh, and he had another title I really liked a whole lot called Leave It to Chance. Leave It to Chance with Paul Remember Smith. Remember that? Yes. I, I think, yes, with the, one of the a very underappreciated early thousands, late 90s uh, self-published com- or self-creator yeah, owned. Only lasted about twelve issues. It was a really good comic for younger readers because yep. the the uh, the main character is Chance Falconer, who was twelve years old, and uh, she was a, a part of a dynasty of monster hunters. And really, if you think about it, uh, Chance Falconer, this young girl who finds herself uh, fighting these. Uh, these evil beings uh, who are much older, and she's doing it kind of on her own. I think she has a pet dragon that helps her. It was a sweet, sweet um, comic book. But uh, you can see overtones uh, with Courtney and Stargirl about you know a young girl who's empowered and is taking on the legacy uh, of who she thinks may or may not be her father. She thinks it is, and uh, you know she's she's trying to fight the good fight, and she has that hope. Hope, uh, hopefulness and optimism. And so, yeah, I can see some parallels between Stargirl and uh, Leave it to Chance. And I think that's uh, that's to James Robinson. Uh, I, th- I think that's actually something to his advantage. Uh, another parallel I would draw to is uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which is a movie that I, I really enjoy and I love. Just in terms of, I think it has that same essence as the movie, as the show does. Is Again, you, you do have this young protagonist uh, who really is still in high school and dealing with all the pressures of uh, just trying to be a normal kid. And then they're thrust with this this power and this ability and uh, and the adults in their lives, you know, trying to, I think, compensate for being young and maybe making knuckleheaded mistakes or maybe being insecure at times and being vulnerable, but also be having fun. Like, I think we miss that joy in superhero properties. It's like, oh, I can fly around and I can stay up past my curfew and there's just a, a sense of awe and, and fun uh, that you can appreciate through that that hero's eyes. And again, it's not just uh, the flash like, well, I better get this. Uh, I better get the weather wizard in before lunch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, for anyone who's watching Stargirl for the first time, I think it's 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 neat to see uh, becoming a superhero at such a young age. And, you know, someone who's uh, in high school with grit and determination uh, wanting to uh, fight the good fight. And I think uh, Courtney is a wonderful character. And I, the actress who plays her is just dead on. She's just really, really good at what she does. What's icing on the cake is that for... Uh, older uh, comic book nerds such as ourselves they've really done a good job to talk about uh the justice society of america and they have pictures of you know the golden age flash and dr midnight and and uh johnny thunder and you know of course we're like going crazy because we're seeing their pictures that's enough for us or um i think there's a piece of conversation where Luke Wilson tells Courtney that uh, the cosmic staff came from Ted Knight originally, but that's, you know, another story. And like, I know that James and I just went crazy because Ted Knight is Jack Knight's father. The Ted Knight was the original Starman, uh, not not just Ted Knight from Caddyshack. Uh, <laughs> this is someone else, uh, another Ted Knight. And we just, you know, we go crazy just hearing his name and and seeing him get some love on TV. Uh, no, it's super enjoyable. I, I don't want to spoil anything for James. I'm going to let him watch it later. Uh, again, it's it's not that this is a plug, but it is available through the DC app, so uh, it's able to watch there. And since uh, since I've been on the app after watching the show, I've been actually reading uh, the first couple of issues of that JSA run from 1999, uh, which is nice. I get to read it digitally on my TV, which is nice. So it'll go panel by panel. And uh, the other day I was just going through the first couple because we talked about how much we liked the series and it brought back some nostalgic memories for me. So I was like, oh, you know, this is still stand up. And the first couple of issues, like James had mentioned, were uh, I believe James Robinson and David Goyer. It's really funny because James Robinson gets the, uh, I guess, the headline writer's credit. And then a couple maybe three or four issues in. It goes to David S. Goyer and then James Robinson. I thought, what a weird way to switch it up. Like the first two were were James. Like how do I don't know, I don't know how they would uh, decide who gets like top billing for writing. Uh, well, it's funny because when he James Robinson left the book and David Goyer was writing it, like at that time I didn't realize what it you know like 
he hadn't done like a lot of his Hollywood stuff at that point. I, at least I don't think, but it was like the quality immediately dropped off. And you're like, I, I definitely see who's the strength in this, in this writing relationship, <laughs> uh, who's carrying the bulk load, but, uh, yeah. I mean, did some good, some decent stuff, but, uh, I think J- James Robinson was the heart of the book originally. So. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. And just reading that too. Now I recognize again, though, it was the silver scarab had become Dr. Fate. And uh, was it Nuclon? Was that was it? Yeah, Nuclon uh, became Adam Smasher. Uh, and I, so I, when I was growing up, I knew him more as Adam Smasher, where he was like, was he the nephew or the godson of the original Adam? And then he, he took on the mantle of it. But I, I didn't have that history of him being in uh, Infinity Inc. before that time. So now it feels a lot richer. And it feels like it pays off a lot of stuff. That again, you had the Golden Age heroes. Uh, then you had the guys from the '80s who finally got their due. Like they went from. They graduated from Infinity Inc. into Justice Society. And then again, you had uh, JJ, uh, Johnny Thunders, Courtney, uh, as well as they introduced uh, Holt, who was the new Mr. Terrific. I always liked that character. I thought that was a great addition and a new character and for Mr. Terrific. Yeah, in fact, and he's, I mean, as far as I know, he's even still continuing to be. I remember that whatever the book, the, the, uh, the Terrifics, I guess, with like, Mr. Terrific and Plastic Man and um, like Shrinking Violet or somebody from like a little religious. I forget. It was a weird. I, I didn't actually read it, so I shouldn't. <laughs> I think I read the first issue, but it only came out a few years ago. But basically, it was like mm-hmm. DC, since Marvel wasn't actually at the time producing Fantastic Four comics, somebody at, at DC was like, "Well, why don't we do our own?" And they had Mr. Ter- Terrific lead it. It was Metamorpho, um, Mr. Terrific, Plastic Man. Um, is a weird lineup, but uh, right. But, but I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I enjoyed the. I thought the concept was cool, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, as a giant fan, as I, I said already on this podcast of of those characters, like the thing that I'm really looking forward to is if they, especially because again, I love the fact that like, especially if they follow the same formula as the Flash or some of the other shows, they can pull out cr- random care. I mean, like some deep, you know more lesser known characters so they can do an atom smash or a nuclon they can do characters from infinity inc or all-star squadron or because dc still all, owns all those characters and i'm sure uh you know um uh, iron monroe isn't getting his own tv series <laughs> anytime soon god dude i love those characters so i'm excited and like i said even you know nuclon slash atom smasher I, I love that character i, I always tend to gravitate towards the big guy on the team, the guy like the super strong guy, the guy that grows for some reason. I was a big kid, so I don't know if that that's what it was. <laughs> but uh, I've always had a soft spot for the uh, the big guys, the stronger guys. But I like I'm not sure. Like especially by the time you know Jeff Johns was writing it, and well, interesting character. By the time they get to Kandak, Kandak, whatever the the fictional Middle Eastern yeah, country, uh, and right. then and he, and he sort of becomes like joins with black adam and there's that whole thing just like the character and you know he, he struggles a lot with like self-esteem issues and <laughs> all these things so again such cool source ma- i mean the source material is so good that it makes me excited for what they could do in the show so and i'm glad you said that james because it was something i was thinking about earlier today is that with the dc properties on tv shows even i'm enjoying that harley quinn show the animated show yeah on dc uh but what dc strength is is they have such a deep bench. Like, they just have years and decades and almost a century of characters. They do a good job of bringing them out every once in a while. They've accumulated so many characters. And I was thinking to myself that DC Comics reminds me a lot of Major League Baseball. Uh, If you don't follow Major League Baseball, their brand and their stock and trade is reminding you about the past and tradition. And, you know, we've had opening day in this country for over a hundred years and you know your father went to a baseball game the father before him went to a baseball game and it always harkens back to the past if there's ever anything really exciting or new in baseball sometimes they switch things up but it's always going to make money off of reminding people of another time and a place and i think that's the same thing that dc does is that which makes it hard to write for them or maybe sometimes hard to read new issues because there's so much history that they keep rewriting but that we still you know, maybe adhere to, even though you know the new Fifty Two or Crisis on Infinite Earths tried to change it, uh, they still make a lot of their money off of, or at least 
I feel like interest in like you remember Superman. Uh, why don't you see what he's up to now? Or you remember Batman? You've got decades and decades of these heroes that have gone through so many iterations of permutations. Uh, when it's done right, it's very exciting and they thread the needle and it's it's interesting. But too often, it's just you know it kind of holds back some of the newer stories. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, DC has a great bench strength, um, and we're seeing it on the Arrowverse and with Stargirl. We're seeing all these great characters. I think even Mr. Terrific was on the Arrowverse. I think he was on Green Arrow Show yeah, as one of the was. main characters, which I thought was wonderful. Uh, about the only place that uh, DC really hasn't taken advantage of that is in the movies. And it's it's kind of a shame that, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but I've really been disappointed by uh, the Superman movies. Uh, I did like the Batman movies. But to be honest, I think my favorite DC movie of late, Shazam, uh, right. who would have been thought of as a, a B-list character. I mean, he wasn't really one of the founders of the DC universe. They they kind of bought him out. And, uh, you know, I think maybe because uh, people weren't familiar with him, you know, they could take chances. And they made a wonderful movie. That's one of my favorites. And, of course, Wonder Woman was a great movie. And I think that uh, if DC opened up and stopped being such conservative players with their uh, movie scripts and went more to these uh, characters like Captain Marvel or, I'm sorry, Suzanne. And mm-hmm. um, also uh, Aquaman was a great movie, Wonder Woman, that those are the movies that succeeded. And maybe, you know, give, give Superman a break because apparently they just don't know how to write for him. I mean, I think that we could do a whole... Pod, we could do a whole series of podcasts on the DC Cinematic Universe. But I think the thing that made the Shazam movie stand out uh, from the others is the fact that they went with a different tone, a, a tone that works cinematically for superheroes. Like, you know, the whole grim dark shit thing, like, look, I, this, I'm going about to go on a soapbox real quick. Let's, Let's hear it. But it, it boggles my mind. Everybody online who's like, oh, DC's better because they're darker. It's like, no, they're not. They are not. The DC <laughs> Super Universe is not darker than Marvel. Batman, his his end of the spectrum can be darker depending on if it's Elseworlds tale. Yes, they have Vertigo. They have Constantine. And they have a, you know, a more mature series of stories. But the, the the superhero section is filled with Boy Scouts. It's filled with Supermans. It's filled with uh, the Flash. It's filled with Hal Jordan. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess Hal Jordan, you can say, veered off in this sort of grim, dark territory. Um, but for the most part, this, Superman isn't a dark character, and he will not no. work that way. Um, no, no. I mean, darker doesn't mean better. And that's, uh, and that's Thank you. That's my biggest point. Was specifically like, all that matters is if it's well written a good story. But being in dark doesn't make it inherently interesting or good. So no, it doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, you make you make mistakes. Uh, I think one of the Superman movies uh, they wanted to uh, they had like Pa Kent say like, oh, don't say those people. You'll give away your identity and people will hate you. I'm like, no, that's not Superman. Superman was always going to help people. And and and, and, and was that person because his he was raised by two people that taught him that you sacrifice maybe some of your own freedom, some of your own. If you yeah, basically yeah. to, to steal yeah. a line from Marvel, if you with great power comes great responsibility, and they taught him that his his powers were a gift, and he had to use that gift for mankind. Um, mm-hmm. Which that which the movies just throw right out the window. I right. mean. Again, we could go off a whole thing here, but my big in fact thing is... we may uh, Adam, uh, you know, write this down for another episode. Ah. I think we, I do think we need to talk about this more. But uh, to kind of tie this all up, I mean, like I said, one of my favorite DC movies was Shazam, and what does it have in uh, common with Stargirl? They both have young heroes who are right. full of optimism. And in, in the case of Shazam, it's a young kid who, you know, doesn't feel like he's connected to a family and doesn't feel like he's up to the, uh, you know, up to being a hero. And he finds it in himself that he does have a family that he cares about and that, you know, he does need to save the world. And, you know, that brings me back to why I think I like Stargirl, because it's the same thing. She's not as reluctant as Billy Baston, uh, 
But on the whole, I think that that's you, you, basically that's that makes DC so interesting for me is they have these characters who are hopeful, uh, who who want to do the right thing. Uh, sometimes they may be uh, a little hesitant, but eventually they find their way and they find their way with family. And that's not a bad thing. That is makes for great storytelling. Yeah, and, and ultimately what the DC series have done so well, and and to Stargirl, at least, like I said, as far as the first we go, is that they they captured the fun of reading comics. Like they, it, it's a fun universe. Um, you know, it 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 allows you. Not everything has to be Frank Miller. You know, not everything has to be these. You know, it doesn't even have to be Watchmen. Sometimes comics are great because they're just escapism, and you can sort of imagine yourself basically as a. 15 year old kid who discovers they have superpowers of sort of some sort of incredible weaponry or whatever. Uh, and how much fun that would be fighting supervillains. It doesn't have to go deeper than that sometimes. And that's what the shows sort of really capture. Uh, also to bring a full circle to comics, uh, Captain Marvel and uh, Stargirl actually have a little bit of a chemistry kind of, uh, or did in the comics. Oh, they were the two detail. Yeah. They were sort of, the two age appropriate members of the justice league or the JSA for a little bit. And a lot of the other older superheroes were like, what is with this creep with old captain Marvel? Not, <laughs> not realizing that, you know, he's a Billy Batson. He's a teenage boy himself. So, um, but with that being said, I will say my favorite thing though, as I mentioned in the last podcast about the Sargo universe for me is super villains, super villains, super villains, super villains. Marvel, take a goddamn, take a, take a, one thing you can learn, Marvel can learn from the DC universe, whether it's the TV series or movies, is they have actual supervillains wearing supervillain costumes. So take a note, Marvel. Not all your villains have to be one dimensional cookie cutter versions of the superheroes. Anyways, sorry, had to go off on no, a right there. But. No, I like, and I think that something that James and I always discuss when it comes to wrestling as well is that the heel, the bad guy, has to be very interesting and they have to be, powerful and you have to either hate them or maybe worry like oh i don't know who's gonna beat this you know tremendous threat right so when you when you do that in comic books as well you've got to make sure that the the antagonist is interesting or else you're gonna lose interest in the reader right why do i care you know if i like superman but i don't know if he's ever in a really danger or batman i don't know if batman's ever to solve this crime the antagonist has to be like you know as as smart if not smarter or even more you know devious or again, sometimes even charming. Like if there's a if there's a character that's charming, you're like I like this guy, but he's horrendous or they're horrendous. But there's something I like about him. It always adds a, a spice and it gives dramatic tension to the reader and allows you, you know, as a writer to, you know, have fun with it and take the story in just kind of different ways. But you have to create a character that is intriguing at, at the very least. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on, one of the things we wanted to talk about today, one of the topics that James and I discussed offline. This is this is what it's like being my friend. With your James, you wake up in the middle of the night to a text that says, "If you had all the assembled leagues and societies and patrols and all the heroes that are in separate groups, how would you, in a FEMA-like disaster, organize them to, <laughs> you know, to deal with a disaster?" So, you know, maybe let's say, and I said, for instance, let's say Mongol is hovering over. Uh, Coast City, and so he's hovering over Coast City. However, you had all these heroes there. How would you divide them up? How do you get, you know, the Superman level heroes one way? How do you get all the crime fighters together, and and how do you implement them? Do you help them like organize people into shelters? Do you get all the magic heroes, and are they able to teleport? And again, it was it was a long, long stream of conscious question that I asked James because I uh, maybe I think they've done this. Ultimately, led to the question of like, who is your favorite? superhero group but you know what we talked about it before i'm gonna open it up it can be marvel dc it could be anybody who is your favorite superhero group and why and i'll i'll start with uh, james there uh, i mean see that's i it i it kind of goes with i guess you know basic enough of eras or i mean again i said in the last podcast it, it, it i would say 
if they're not always the number one, the Justice Society has always been, if not my favorite team, one of my top two favorite teams. Um, there's something about those characters. I love the Golden Age. I love Golden Age DC so much. The whole wealth of characters are always super interesting to me. How archetypal they are, and I just so many great stories. Like I said, the you know whether it was the James Robinson or the Jeff Johns version of the the, the stories, they're always amazing. I used to be a huge Teen Titans fan, especially, obviously, the new Teen Titans with the George Perez and Marv Wolfman years. So I grew up, when I started collecting comics, that was still probably, it was like Chris Claremont's X-Men and then, you know, the, the Marv Wolfman Teen Titans were like the two comics everybody was reading. One of my personal favorites, though, I, I, again, I gravitate towards villains. I, I've always been a fan of whether it was like the Secret Society Six or Villains Limited or whatever. Uh, giant Catman fan. I've a, I have every single Catman figure ever released up on my shelf right here. Uh, huge Catman fan. I'm going back to when he was even like before all that when he was there was some. I bought this comic, this Batman comic. Um, and the character hadn't been around since like the seventies. I think it was his first appearance in like years, but Norm Brayfogle, uh, who's since passed away is one of my favorite comic book artists of all time. I still think one of my favorite Batman artists, but he drew Catman and he, I thought it was so cool. Even though he's a villain, I was like, this guy's, and I love cats too. <laughs> so on my knuckles. Um, but, uh, I was a big, so I was a big fan of that. So when Gail Simone, uh, created the secret six, I keep calling up Secret Society, the the Secret Six. I was hooked right away. So I love that team. An interesting collection of like villains uh, trying trying to do good. On that same note, uh, the Thunderbolts. I was a huge Thunderbolts fan. I, I don't know. I mean, I would say it, again it depends on. The, I used to. I mean, certain eras of the X Men. Um, I always had had a soft spot for Fantastic Four. I would say to, to answer your question without going all around. I mean. Either I mean, if we're doing any comic, I would say, yeah, I'll still I'll still stick with Justice Society. I still think I just every single I mean every character in that comic I love. So whether it's Doctor Midnight, you know, OG Doctor Fate, Jay Garrick, uh, Alan Scott, who's still one of my favorite characters of all time. But yeah, I mean, there's and there's again, I'm probably leaving off a ton of like the Defenders, the Champions. Like, although I do really love the Defend. In fact, I'm gonna. Ooh. Classic defenders with like Hulk Hellcat. And- well, Hulk's. I mean, you can go the classic, classic like Hulk and Doctor Strange, and but Silver that Surfer. the Silver Surfer. But that next generation when it was like Devil Slayer, Hellcat, um, Damien Hellstrom, like the more B player ones. I do love that end of the era of the defenders too. But I'll stick with Justice. I'll stick with Justice Society for right now. Right, I feel like you're almost discussing. It's like when people talk about like my favorite basketball team. It might be the 1971 New York Knicks. It's not because the New York <laughs> Knicks are your favorite basketball, <laughs> you know, <laughs> organization. It's just because mm-hmm. wow, what a tremendous team! Look at the players that they had. Look at the way they executed. This is you know the highest form of of the art form uh, in that era or whatever. Right. So it's almost we could discuss it like that. Uh, Russell Hazard, I'm gonna throw it to you. Same question. What is your you know your favorite team and why? Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad you brought up that analogy about uh, looking at teams from certain eras because, uh, well, first, James took up just about every hero team that I could think of, uh, but I think I'll go with uh, the original, well, not the original, Justice League. I mean, I I really was a big fan of the Justice League of America uh, from the Silver Age in the 70s. I think that was one of my hot titles that I kept buying. I went back to it in the 90s, you know, with with all the heroes. And what was interesting is that they kept changing all the heroes around. I think that, uh, of, of course, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan had went crazy, and so they brought in a new Green Lantern to take his place. And then there was that whole, there was that whole series where they were looking for the killer of... Um, Identity of Crisis? Identity crisis, yes. Sigmi's wife, yes, Sigmi. She who, who killed her, and, and that was that was a great run too. So I I really did like Justice League. I have a soft spot for Justice Society, uh, mostly for the same reasons that James has. So I don't really want to. Uh, there's nothing really I can add because I feel the same way. I, I feel like uh, you know there's something about him that's very nostalgic. I love. Those uh, those early characters, and I'm glad they found a way to make them come back in the '90s and the aughts 
uh, even though they're, you know, they're, they should be 100 years old by now, but they're able to keep them fresh and keep them uh, interesting. Uh, one of my other favorite team-ups I want to bring real quick is uh, Brave and Bold from the 70s. That's oh, yeah. when uh, they'd have Batman uh, team up with another character in a monthly uh, comic. And sometimes it was usually another A-lister like the Flash or Green Arrow, sometimes Black Canary. But there are other team-ups team, team ups that were a little uh, strange, like uh, a couple of times Batman uh, got together with Metal Men. Uh, yep. I'm like, Metal Men? I mean, I, I think they're, <laughs> I, 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 they were not even as cool as Doom Patrol. I think Doom Patrol had more cachet than Metal Men. I think uh, Batman also got together with Phantom Stranger, who was this mysterious figure with supernatural powers, kind of like a Doctor Strange type of figure. Uh, who was really cool looking when he was uh, drawn by Jim Aparo. Yep. He was really neat. He had a, a cape, and you usually couldn't see his eyes, and he did all this mysticism stuff. Batman teamed up with Sergeant Rock, who yep. was from World War II, and uh, now he's, I guess, General Rock, and I guess he must have been in his 60s, but they, they fought together. And there's even a great Brave and Bold team-up where uh, Batman teamed up with the House of Mystery, where... Uh, he went to Ireland and had this mysterious supernatural adventure. So uh, I really have a soft spot for those Batman team-ups. Uh, Batman was uh, a very interesting character. And, and back then, he wasn't as dire and morose as, as he would be later in the 80s. He was uh, still fun. He still had his detective traits more, you know, trying to be more of a Sherlock Holmes type of a character, trying to solve crimes. Had a little more humanity, I think. Uh, and so it was fun to to see him teamed up with these other uh, superheroes. Yeah, that's a great series. Everyone, every time he he teamed up with a uh, Dead Man, I was, I was really just like, about yeah. to say that. I was yes, just Dead that. Man. Every other issue was him and Dead Man, and they had a really interesting dynamic together. And again, like the art. I mean, you know, whether it was Neil Adams or Jim. Ap I mean, there was a. I mean, that book had great art. I mean, that seventies DC, whether it was. Jose Garcia Lopez. I mean, there was just so many amazing artists working in DC in the seventies. But uh, first off, I forgot. Do I always love Doom Patrol? I my heart will always be with sixties classic era Doom Patrol. I as much as I love the Grant Morrison uh, era. It's like becomes its own thing, and it's too fucking weird to include uh -huh. it in a super universe. But yeah. the original. I mean, again, Robot Man is one of my favorite characters of all time. But I forgot my favorite team of all time hands down if i'm talking a specific version is the justice league international the blue right. beetle booster gold oh, martian manhunter like that's my oh, favorite my comic, goodness. favorite superhero comic of all time it's the funniest comic that's ever existed it and, is and jam demandis and uh, keith giffen wrote such amazing three-dimensional characters uh, guy gardner mm -hmm. you know everybody enjoyed seeing him get punched out every year uh <laughs> by somebody what a great yeah, that I was, mean, they, they're great because they had all these egos and yeah. uh they were almost like parodies of yeah. what a superhero team should be because you know they just thought they were too cool for school well, uh and it was a thing you know dc was like we don't want you know, Superman, we want to do something different. So, but how do you follow up basically a pantheon of gods, the most recognizable superheroes <laughs> on the planet? You're not going to do another, you can't take it too seriously. So mm -hmm. when you do, well, you make it funny. You make them with yeah. like, you make them with like kind of like fuck ups. <laughs> you make yeah, it, exactly. You make it funny. And and I, that's, I love when comics do that, when they take a trope or they take a meme and, and they turn it on its head and make it interesting. By yeah. the way, uh, I know I, I want to get Adam here. I want to hear what he has to say, but I just wanted to add for those listeners that aren't aware that Dead Man was actually a dead man. He used to be a, a circus performer named Boston Brand uh, who died uh, in a circus accident. Really, a circus <laughs> accident. Uh, but it turned out that yeah, but it turned out there are some criminals behind it. Anyway, he could take over other people's bodies and uh, fight crime that way, or I guess he could fight in his ghost-like appearance. He had a red costume and he had a white face, and he really was a dead man. But he could also go into other people's bodies and and take over for a while. So that's that's some of the great 
greatness of DC in the 60s and 70s. Hey, let's have a ghost crime fighter. What do we call him? Dead man. Got it. Write it down. Have him team up with Batman. You got it. I was going to say he could fight the gentleman ghosts from time to time. <laughs> there, That's true. Gentleman ghosts. That's right. Uh, I was going to throw in my two teams. So I'm having a hard time. Maybe you guys can help me decide which team I like more. Between the Challengers of the Unknown and the Newsboy uh, Legion. Uh, you started reading Challengers of the Unknown and I didn't understand it as a comic. What? But now I'm reading in Wikipedia, and I think that was a Jack Kirby, right? It was a he, late 50s. Yeah. Late 50s Jack Kirby before he goes back to Marvel and starts the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it was Fantastic Four without the powers. Uh, right. Yeah, it, it was a, a wonderful series in the 60s. Actually, who did the Silver Age? I forgot who came up with that long uh, series. Was it Kurt Busiek or No, no, no. It was uh, Darwin Cook. Who yes. came up and and redid uh, did a whole like twelve issues and the challenges of the unknown actually uh, were in some of the early issues. Wait, yeah, uh, wait, had, and played a big Silver part. Age? What is the name? That's one of such oh a, New Frontier. New Frontier. I was gonna say thank you. New like, Frontier. It, it finally hit me. It was that was a, a great series. By the way, there was a '90s uh, version of uh, Challenges of the Unknown. Right. I actually liked it. I, I forgot who did the artwork. The artwork was pretty good. Uh, the first stories were promising. But it, it uh, went off the rails somehow. DC didn't d- take an interest in it. They actually ran an issue with the wrong cover at one time. And they actually ended the run where they had a uh, villain on the cover that said, this is the end. And that was it. I mean, they they basically, uh, you know, the challenges, that, that version of the challenges just didn't cut it. But it was good, Adam. It was. Uh, I, may, I may have to go through the archives and read it. My serious answer... Uh, and this may be a little bit of a cheat, but I'd have to say, you know, as a kid growing up, I'd watch reruns of the old, like, Super Friends cartoon. And uh, whether it had the Wonder Twins or who's the guy with the M on his shirt? Uh, uh, Mark? Mick, uh, Mick? Mickey. What was his name? The, 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 it was like the, they were. He was like, like a, the super teenager is what he was. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I think about it now, you know, as a kid, it's it's elemental to watch those because you understand Who's in the team? You understand that Superman's working with Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman. But then you would also have cool heroes like Typhoon and Apache Chief and uh, Black Lightning. Or was it Black Lightning or Black Vulcan? I think it, it was, was Black, Black Vulcan in the cartoon. It yeah. was Black Vulcan in the cartoon. Thank you. I don't want to uh, to confuse anybody. Uh, so as a kid growing up, and I, it, after school, this is a, a treasured memory of mine. They would show these on, I believe, Cartoon Network in the mid-90s. And I'd go home. I'd go to my grandparents' house. I'd go to uh, Russell Hazard's parents' house, and every afternoon at four o'clock they would show these old either Challenge of the Super Friends, where some of them were a little more serious, where you did just ha- you had the Legion of Doom and uh, you had Solomon Grundy and, and Bizarro, which again that's a stacked lineup for evildoers of having Solomon Grundy and Bizarro. Mm-hmm. By the way, that would be at Grandma and Grandpa Caution's house, right? Oh my goodness, this doesn't end. <laughs> oh boy but so yeah i would watch these cartoons and enjoy them and they would have you know some interesting stories uh then as you grow up you start really reading comic books you're like oh that's for kids that's how lame it is it needs to be dark and it needs to be grim again when you turn 14 everything has to be super serious man it has to be you know life or death and and gritty you get a little older i think you're like no let's uh, let's have it go back to where it was fun and batman and superman were at the bat computer trying to figure out like some sort of riddle from the riddler to you know crack the case like oh this is enjoyable this is low stakes fun so, <laughs> i mean look, i think that's why it's important know, the thing is like people think that you can't people think that being modern is you have to make it all you know you know the sidekicks a, a drug addict and you know, and just get really heavy with it. But first off, like Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman was a perfect example of a modern way to make Superman fun, taking it to, to that silver age where everything is like kind of we kind of bizarre and like very science oriented and kind of, you know, like he, Superman almost seems like like almost godlike, but it, in a very quirky, fun way. Mark Wade for two decades daredevil was like marvel's main like especially when like brian michael bennis started it i mean it started with like kevin smith and then brian michael bendis and then um ed brubaker, brubaker. 
but for for but for almost 20 years daredevil was like the super dark character people thought oh you can't i mean what are you going to do with that and then mark wade came in wiped out all of the sort of grim and gritty you know stuff that had still been left over from frank miller and made daredevil a super fun book again and it was great and it ended too quickly but it's like, and I'm not, I love Dark. I mean, this company called Avatar has done all these, there's a thing called Black Summer, a book called Super God. There's all these like really like very dark uh, takes on like superpowered human beings and, and quote unquote superheroes. I enjoy those too. I, I, I enjoy it all. But the thing is like, sometimes, you know, whether it's like super friends or, you know, sometimes comics are just fun, like can just be fun. And that's sort of the fun of superheroes. So I just needed to just go off on that tirade one more time. No, no, I appreciate it. Uh, and I think fun and, and so many different dimensions. And after a while, we're like, hey, these have gotten too fun. Maybe in 10 years, people are going to be like, now we finally have the serious animal man is back again. Vixen <laughs> has now become, uh, uh, you know, very, very dark. But, you know, I think it, it comes and it goes. And you can tell really good stories in that, in that fashion. But I think we always like talking about just different teams, uh, how they interact with one another. And if you could tell a really good story... Uh, with a, such a high power team like the Justice League or the Justice Society, again, you have to have a compelling villain. Sometimes you have to, like in Identity Crisis, you also have to have, you know, squabbling. I think that was a great part of Identity Crisis is that Batman finds out his mind had been wiped from, I believe, the oh, assaults wow. on. Uh, did you did you not read that, or do you remember that? Uh, I, I I well, I remember reading it. I, I I think I'm the one who bought the issues you read. Yeah. But uh, it's been over ten years now, so I don't remember the story altogether too well. Uh, I'm afraid uh, uh, my memory is inevitably leaving me. Uh, I'll soon be in a vegetative state somewhere. I only remember that it was it had to do with Sue Digby. Yeah. So the whole one of the whole conceits of the story is that the Justice League would use magic basically to wipe out memories of supervillains um and batman found out and they knew batman was the one guy on the team that wasn't gonna cotton to their sideways ethical uh, you know decision so they end up wiping out batman's memory too of the incident and then he finds oh, out wow um, you know that book is very problematic and has become very uh contentious some people love it some people hate it uh, and right there there's some problems with that story and the use of women and, you know, and just basically using women as a plot device. But um, one thing that I, you can't take away from that book is one, the art by Rags Morales is right. unbelievable. Uh, one of the most beautifully illustrated books, um, superhero comics of all time. And then that showdown between Deathstroke and the JLA. Uh, when right, basically on, that, wipes, on that stoop, right? Yeah. On that stoop of that apartment. Yep. And basically he's beating everybody. And then, you know, like Green Arrow shoves the arrow in his eye, empty eye socket. And just a great, uh, that was great. But uh, yeah, the, the book is a little problematic, but it's, uh, I enjoyed it at the time. Uh, artwork is still great. The writing is is still, you know, there's a there's a panel where um, uh, Long Game Man's in grief and the way that, you know, the it's just, it's a, despite having some issues, some problems with it, it it's still, there's definitely some worth to that book. And honestly, Change Comics for, it was a very pivotal comic in the same way a book like Watchmen or the original Crisis was. It sort of really had a profound effect on superhero comics. But so. Well, one of the great yeah. things about having a, uh, a, my memory lapses is I can go back to it and read it and I'll like, oh, it's going to be new to me again. That's right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'll look forward to reading it uh, once again. One of the last things I uh, I wanted to bring up, I've just been picking up trivia all week since we last spoke. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to to share with with the two of you is that uh, I realized that the voice for Kingpin in the 1994 Spider-Man cartoon was none other than Roscoe Lee Brown. Oh which, wow! Like, blew my mind. He would always go like, "Alistair Smythe, we'd better get that wall crawler." And I was thought, "Oh, you know, he he had such a Kingpin had such a unique voice, and, and it was." both aristocratic but sinister uh after watching logan's run this week i was looking up the career of <laughs> roscoe lee brown and yeah i was surprised and glad to see oh he was a part of my childhood uh 25 years ago so a little tidbit of trivia there uh, yes, second thing i remember him i remember him wonderful voice he just had a a wonderful voice a terrific timber and yes, uh, and right. elocution so 
Uh, that made me laugh. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask the two of you is if you had ever heard of the Rutland, Vermont Halloween Parade. Yes, I have. All right. What, what do you know about the Rutland, Vermont uh, Halloween Parade? 70s. Am I, it's a, something, some 70s tied to DC Comics, if I'm not mistaken. Am I, am I, am, I know there's the, some. Let me give, right me a, give me a second. Because I, I was remember. It, was it the parade that a bunch of guys from DC all got into a car and were going to go to this parade and their car broke down or something that. Is that what it was? Right. Yeah, that's that's part of it. Uh, what it what it is is that I guess in Rutland, Vermont, there's a real Rutland, Vermont. They would have a Halloween parade, and in the 50s and 60s, uh, but part of the Halloween parade is they would also dress up as just superheroes. So it'd be Spider-Man and Thor and Batman and Superman, and they would be part of the uh, of the parade. And writers at both Marvel and DC decided to incorporate it. So like in Thor. For some reason, Thor wound up in Rutland, Vermont, and like, was like, oh, here's our parade, our Halloween parade, and you would see like, you know, they would have the Hulk or somebody, but in the background, you would see Superman and Bat, you know, you'd see the red and blue, right. and see the blue and the yellow oval, and then on DC side, they would have a, an issue of Justice League or something where they're like, oh no, it brought us to the strange, the small Vermont town, and then you would see the other half of the uh, the parade going by. There's the a month. there's an issue. I- I own an issue of the Avengers. I think it's the Avengers. Right. Where they were it's literally there in Halloween for that parade. Like, yeah. Okay. God. I think I remember specifically something in like a DC bolt like the 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 bullpen, the bullet bullpen, or maybe it was the Mary mm-hmm. Marvel Marching Society. I remember something about that specifically from my childhood. Um Oh, do you uh, Adam, do you know the name of the house band for the San Diego Comic Con for like twenty years? Uh, no, I don't. And they, they were called Seduction of the Innocent. Oh. It had like all kind, of, yeah, all kind of uh, like Scott, like all these like old seventies and eighties uh, uh cartoonists were in this band, um, like Scott Shaw and all these like uh, uh I think uh, John Romita juniors i forget who's in it specifically but uh i, I remember that being like like oh seduction of the innocent anyways <laughs> that's real comic nerdery right there so adam i know that we're getting uh close to the time that we need to say goodbye but i, I wanted you to uh go ahead and lead us on to remembering denny ah, denny o'neill i thought we'd be remiss if we ended the show without uh pouring one out to uh, i believe he's in his early 80s as he passed away danny o'neill no, uh, again, a Titan, We and it's funny, in a way, knowing that we were going to talk about Daniel Neal, previously in our conversation, talking about a award that's on a heroine and all kinds of, like, uh, Brave and the Bold, uh, I think that was really within the wheelhouse, that, that early 70s DC, where Daniel Neal brought to Batman, even though it was, he could be more of a detective, he was a little more grounded, and it was a little darker, and he, he and Neil Adams, and probably early Marv Wolfman were able to kind of uh, bring these these stories to crime fighters, and not so much I think Superman or anything, but anyone with heroes, but crime fighters, and make it gritty and, and really give it its own milieu, if it were. So yeah, he uh, he's the guy who I mean, Batman was still kind of had that you know the Batman TV series from the sixties, kind of a, a you know not really taken very seriously. He made people take Batman seriously. He made him a hero again. He he gave made him a serious uh, hero again. And I, I remember him mostly for Batman. And I think he did do uh, Brave and Bold, which I mentioned earlier. And the 70s, he also did another one of my favorite uh, series, which was a reboot of The Shadow. The Shadow was a pulp hero from the 30s and 40s. Had a, a radio show I think I made Adam listen to. Yes. Uh, he got... Yes, uh, he got together with a, an amazing artist named Mike Kaluta, and they uh, did a, a several issue run that was just amazing. There was this kind of uh, '70s nostalgia kick going on back then. Uh, I think yeah. Marvel brought Doc Savage back, but but DC brought um, the Shadow, and Danny O'Neill was the one in back of it. He he was just amazing. I don't know too much about his work for Marvel, although I was looking at uh, his. Uh, an obit for him and they said that when he worked there he worked on several different titles including daredevil and x-men of course but also strange tales rawhide kid and millie the model 
which again calls to the how just all you know there are comics for everybody and here's this guy who's known for serious superheroes but you know he also wrote millie the model which is kind of an archie comics type of comic what you know something about a, a young lady who's having you know these funny adventures that was for, uh you know for the kids um i mean obviously probably the premier batman writer um wrote the character you know kind of quit the quintessential Batman writer wrote a ton of other stuff. I mean, you know, he's the hard traveling heroes guy. He, you know, especially at the time when in that, in like the sort of uh, counterculture, you know, of the seventies, you know, he was really like, he was basically challenging, you know, you had green arrow was the voice was like the sort of left voice and Hal Jordan was still the establishment. He was still the man and sort of challenging that. And like Mason, like, you know, Denny O'Neill was very knowledgeable and very aware of like social issues. So, you know, he was one of the first writers, especially in DC, to sort of bring that great writer. I think the one book of his that I feel doesn't get enough love and is one of my favorite stories, favorite yeah, comics from the late 80s, uh, is his, his The Question with Denny Cohen. That book doesn't get enough love. I mean, if you like kind of a noir superhero story, a dark crime sort of uh you know there's some stuff that happens in the question that's you know couldn't believe made it into a, an actual like not into like a, a mature readers or a uh you know like even vertigo like some really crazy stuff happened but it's just a great the, the way he wrote the character was he was known for being like i said the superhero guy being doing batman and you know like to a lesser degree although he did uh he is the guy that did make uh wonder woman well, I think it was a, I think it was the a deep power Wonder Woman. Or? Yeah, the Diana Prince, like where she's like a spy, a master. Yeah, and... so that that's not that's not that's not a success in his career. But but he's known for being super, like more of a superhero guy. But um, the question is such a great comics. The art, the writing, perfect merger. Um, people definitely need to check that out. But yeah, it you know he's he's one of the greatest voices, especially that you know, DC had in their library, just a great writer, uh, meant a lot to comics, had a huge, long lasting career in comics too, multiple decades. So you know, he will be missed, you know, and I feel like I, I glad because I've seen, we live in a time where it's not, you know, it's not just wizard magazine that you'd hear about his past okay. big, pretty big websites, you know, sort of, so he, you know, he got the legacy, you know, uh, in death that he deserved. So, you know, it, the, the comics world is sadder without him. Uh, I, at least we have his stories, I guess. Yeah. He, uh, he really was one of the, I guess, maybe the second generation of comic book writers. Uh, a lot of guys like Stan Lee, Carmine Infanto, is it Infanto? Infanto. Julie Schwartz. Anyway, they, they all started 40s and 50s. And he was one of the new voices back in the 60s when I started reading him. He was one of the young guns who, who wanted to take comics into, uh, you know, the new age and, and try to get away from these stories that, frankly, you know, I think comics at least at DC, were kind of stagnating because uh, all their writers were middle-aged guys and, and uh, you know, they didn't know how to add any relevancy to uh, the titles. And Danny O'Neill came at that time. He was, what, uh, he was like in his 30s, maybe, maybe late 20s, 30s. And uh, they they gave him a shot to, to add some uh, realism, uh, relevance is really more than anything else, to especially Batman and it paid off. I mean, he he set the blueprint, and of course, uh, that blueprint was used for for many many years. And he was still working up until, I guess, the '90s or so. And he was still a player, and he will be missed. Well, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Well, I, I last question I have is, uh, fellas, did you have fun on this podcast? Absolutely, my friends. Absolutely. Oh yes. <laughs> Well, it was good to hear your voices. It was good to hear your input. As I close up shop here today, I just want to remind everybody to like and subscribe. Again, we're going to call this the Satellite Years. I also want you, uh, listener, to do yourself a favor. I want you to look up a podcast called Den of Sin, C-I-N, <laughs> uh, hosted by none other than our friend James here and Devin. Right, Devin? Devin, that's right. Uh, I got to tell you guys, they put out three episodes of one about Burt Reynolds, one about Brian De Palma, and one about the films of 1980. And I listened to all of them in one day. 
in almost practically one sitting. It's it's so enjoyable. So if you want to hear more about James's opinions and, and nuanced thoughts and, and Devin as well, I love as a as someone who who likes film. It's so interesting, even with just a cursory knowledge of, of certain films. Uh, it, was, it was quite enjoyable. So definitely, I want everyone to check out Den of Sin. I heard it on Spotify, but I know that they're on other media Apple platforms podcasts, as well. Yeah, Apple we, Podcasts. We're now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, I appreciate that shout-out, uh, Adam. Uh, definitely, listeners, listen to it for Devin. He's very knowledgeable. Uh, you don't need to hear me pontificate anymore, but it's, it's worth it for Devin. No, you're gonna, you guys are going to love it. Uh, also, just check us out, too. Uh, Tank Rodriguez Podcast. Check out The Relationship Show. Check out Stable of Studs. There should be a new one coming out soon. Uh, we're going to get together and talk about the professional wrestling world, uh, as well as Texas Podcast Massacre and Going Commando. Uh, those are some of my favorite shows to listen to when I'm doing uh, making dinner or something like that, because then I could just laugh and rewind, listen to Dirty Derek and James and, and Tank. So once we've got that out of the way, again, I just want to thank everybody for listening today. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this. Uh, can't wait to sit down and edit some of this, get it out to you. So once again, thank you so much.